All right, good morning to you. This is Mike Smith, and we start this morning with the fight over policing in the city of Surrey. And last night, Surrey City Council, as expected, voting here to go back to the future here, back to the RCMP, keep the Mounties in Surrey. Forget this new municipal police force that's been set up. They want to keep the Mounties instead. Surrey Mayor Brenda Locke calling on the new Surrey Police Service to put the brakes on any new hiring and spending until this is all sorted out. Let's get the reaction now from Surrey Police Service Chief Norm Lipinski. I'm very pleased to welcome him. Chief Lipinski, thank you very much for coming on today. Most welcome, Mike. Good to be here. Okay, thanks for doing it. So the vote last night at City Council, not a surprise, voting to keep the RCMP. Will you follow the direction here from the mayor and council here and stop hiring any new police officers and stop any spending here at this at the Surrey Police Service? Well, there's a couple of steps here, Mike. Uh, first of all, respecting the democratic process that uh, there was a motion, it was passed, and uh, the indication is to go towards uh, the RCMP uh, again. And so we will look at uh, that motion. We're certainly meeting with the board, and we have to keep in mind that ultimately there has to be a report put together that goes to the province. We are presently working with the other two levels of government, provincial and federal, and prior to the election working with the city, uh, towards actioning an HR plan that was put together by the three levels and agreed upon. So we have a document where it goes out to March of, uh, of uh, 2023, and uh, we are moving forward with that, recognizing the unique circumstance that we are in. And uh, let's just keep in mind that the province is in charge of policing, ultimately, because they have to ensure that there's adequate and effective policing right. uh, throughout the province. Oh, okay, so does, is that a no, then, that you will, you, will, you will continue to hire new police officers and new staff in Surrey, despite the wishes of this city council and this mayor? We will be moving forward with the uh, human resource plan, as was agreed upon by the three levels of government. No other level of government has told us to put the brakes on it. So uh, having said that, having said that, we will be discussing it with the uh, police board in the coming days. Okay, speaking to Surrey Police Service Chief Norm Lipinski. Chief, let me play a couple of clips here for you from the mayor speaking a short time ago to Simi Sarah. Now, here is Mayor Brenda Locke. Uh, saying that it's not too late to put the brakes on the Surrey Police Service here. Have a listen to what she had to say, and I'll get your thoughts. The Surrey Police Service has just not been able to get going, and that's been a big part of the miss. Um, Simi, remember, we've been at this for four years, and at four years, yes, they have a number of people hired, but they only have less than 150 officers that are working on the ground in Surrey. That's a concern. Okay, so she says you've been at this for four years, Chief Lipinski, and you haven't been able to get up and going adequately. What do you say to her? Uh, not accurate, and I'll tell you why. I've been at it for two years. We got 155 on the ground. Uh, you know, Mike, I could have had 250 on the ground, but the RCMP have to demobilize. 
and it's a little bit more challenging for them because uh, we're talking about uh, moving some uh, members to different detachments, uh, feasibly moving families, etc. So on our end, uh, we are ready to go. We have been always ready to go, and uh, we could have put in a lot more people in uh, the two years that I have been here. But we have to be cognizant of family situations uh, with the RCMP and the logistics and the processes that they have. So it's not on our end. Okay, you have said in the past that you believe that this train has just gone too far down the tracks now to turn back now, that it's too late to, to basically go backwards, the RCMP. Is that still your position? Like, you guys are just too far along here to stop now. Totally uh, in favor of that. And... Uh, uh. I, I think is uh, like if you really think about it, we've got 315 police officers, we've got another 50 civilians, etc. You've got all these people. Uh, we've got a plan that goes out to uh, early 2023. We have sunk costs of uh, in the neighborhood of 107 million. Uh, we're talking a situation here and reversing it of essentially terminating firing. 350, 60 people, and uh, then there's severance costs that go with that. Uh, I don't see that in the best interest of the citizens of Surrey. Okay, the mayor clearly disagrees with you here, Chief. Let me play another clip here from Brenda Locke speaking a short time ago to Simi Sarah. She takes direct issue with yourself here in, in this clip, saying that she says it's not too late to turn back now and go back to the Mounties. Here's what she had to say. I'll get your thoughts. I have talked uh, with the federal government and I have talked with the provincial government. Mr. Farnworth has asked for this report and he will be getting this report and he knows exactly why we're doing that. Um, I would say that Mr. Lipinski is in, in somewhat of a conflict making that kind of assumption. It's, um, it's, not, uh, it's not what I understand at all. It's not my experience at all. Okay, so the mayor here suggests you're in a conflict of interest when you say that you can't shut down the Surrey Police Service and go back to the Mounties. What do you say to that? I'm expressing my opinion based on 42 years of policing experience in four organizations. So I know policing very, very well. And uh, when you step back to this, uh, you have to keep in mind that the provincial government who makes the decision will also be looking at... uh, are you going to dissolve a union? Uh, what yeah. are you going to do with all these people? But on top of that, you have to look of adequate uh, look at adequate and effective policing. That is to say that you take 155 people off the front line. It'll be by the end of November. It'll be almost 200, 190, I believe, will be on the front line. How are you going to fill those positions? That is going to be interesting to see because we know that recruiting across Canada for all agencies is a challenge, and it certainly is a challenge uh, for the RCMP. It's been publicly reported. It's a challenge, including their union has said that uh, it's difficult for them to recruit. So um, my people, as you know, are, are not interested in joining the RCMP. Everybody's got to make their individual choices. But right. how are you going to fill that gap with all that, um, with uh, other officers, other recruits, what is the plan for that? So you, uh, that's, for the, that's for the province to have a look at, and that's for the city of Surrey and the RCMP to put a plan together. Can you work effectively with this mayor? Like just listening to her 
interview this morning with Semi and now speaking to you now, it's like you guys are sort of mirror images here in total opposite of the, your plans going forward. I mean, she's telling you to stop hiring police officers. You're saying you're going to keep hiring police officers. She says it's it's not too late to bring back the Mounties. You say it is too late. Like, how can you work together? Well, there's a couple of things here. First of all, I would look forward to getting before the new council members and the mayor and explaining uh, what we have done so far. And I think the board would reflect that as well. Uh, secondly, I can work with, uh, with the mayor and the council. It's, uh, we've got maybe different opinions, but uh, if there's public safety to be uh, taken care of in this city, that's the common goal. That's what this is all about, is providing the best policing model for the citizens of Surrey, and uh, we can uh, move beyond our different theories and philosophies and thoughts and get the job done without a problem. Will you be making representations to Mike Farnworth on this? The mayor has already said that the city will prepare a report for the province. It will go to Mike Farnworth, the Solicitor General. It will contain a plan for going back to the Mounties. Will you be making a similar report to, to present to him on why you should, why the Surrey Police Service should stick around? Yes, I will. At the uh, last board meeting, the board has asked me to uh, put a report together uh, for the province outlining what we have done so far and uh, outlining some of the issues if uh, this were to be reversed, which the first step was taken last night, and uh, to put our case uh, together and uh, so that the province is fully informed, and uh, then they can make the decision that they require. Okay, well, we're following it closely, to say the least. Chief Lipinski, thank you for coming on this morning. You're welcome. All right, let's talk about BC's incoming new premier, David Eby, now, and his promise to take over and clean up the downtown east side, which continues to slide into squalor and chaos. I don't think that's overstating it. The situation with the tent encampment there on Hastings Street, which is still there despite a fire department order, the spike in violent crime, the soaring number of overdose deaths, the untreated mental illness on the streets of the city. This is the reality of the situation we face in our city now. And I find it very interesting that you've got David Eby, who will be sworn in as the premier here in a couple of days, saying he wants the province to take this over. He wants to take over the downtown east side, work with other levels of government, and clean this up. Got Curtis Robinson standing by to discuss. Have a listen to EB here. Now, here he is speaking to Global News about the downtown east side. Listen to what he says here. I've not seen it look worse, uh, and I've not seen a worse situation for people than right now. Uh, so I think that what we're going to need to do as a province is bottom line what's happening down there. It's well beyond what the city can handle on its own. All right, let's discuss now with my guest, Curtis Robinson, former sergeant in the Vancouver Police Department. He was 24 years with the VPD. And I'm very pleased to welcome him to the show. Curtis, thank you very much for coming on today. Hi, Mike. Thanks a lot for doing this. Curtis, you worked a long, t- a long time down in that neighborhood for many years at the, with the VPD. And when you hear David Eby here, is it going to be the next premier saying, 
this is the worst he's ever seen it. He, he's never seen it look worse. I, I think no matter what side you're on and all these debates about what to do, I think everyone can agree on that. It's never been, it's never been worse. Would you agree? 100%, Mike. It's a disaster. Why do you say that? <laughs> well, you know, um, I think that as a beat man, uh, it's basically very difficult to take a look at what that's become because I don't remember it that way. And it's interesting that the uh, new premier makes those comments because back when he was in pivot, um, he didn't have a lot of time for the police department and the work that they were doing, trying to maintain that order in the downtown east side. So it'd be interesting to see what David does with respect to his promise. When, when you look back on your career as a police officer and your time patrolling the streets down there, like what has changed uh, most prominently in your opinion? Order, control, boundary, rules. Um, it's absolutely incredible that the line has moved so far that you can have a virtual lawless society living in one area of one of the most beautiful, desirable cities in the world. It's absolutely astounding. In addition, they've got a block and a half open market, stolen property market yeah. in the, in the uh, north side of the street where everything that's stolen out of, out of cars, homes, stores is free for sale, open in the city. You didn't, you didn't see that on the streets of the downtown east side when you were down there as a cop? Not a chance. Hmm. There's nothing that that would have been allowed uh, of that nature when we worked down there. Yeah, there was what? order. People could go down to the only and have uh, lunch. They could walk down there. They could wait for bus stops. There was no danger whatsoever that, that you were going to run into a stranger attack or anything that's going on right now, Mike. Would you say that the the type of drugs that are being uh, used on the downtown east side is one of the more prominent changes? Like, I've talked to people who have been police officers down there or social workers down there, you know, let's say 20 years ago, who would say, you know, we had, sure, we had drugs, a lot of people consuming drugs in the neighborhood. Uh, there was a lot of alcoholism on the streets, but it's nothing, it's nothing like we see today, the, the powerful type of drugs that people are addicted to and people fixing drugs just openly out on the streets. Would you agree with that? Yes. Yeah. How, how would you describe it in your day? Well, the downtown east side, as with Vancouver in general, went through a number of different stages. Uh, early in the game, say in the 80s, it was heroin. And then what happened is in came uh, powder cocaine, yeah. uh, followed by crack. And at the same time, there was always going to be pharmaceuticals, Tallwin and Ritalin. And then meth and uh, party drugs. And then now it's fentanyl, which is a completely different animal. Yeah. Yeah, I think fentanyl obviously is a big problem. Crystal meth is a big problem. Like, how do those drugs, how do those particular drugs, how, how have they changed the equation down there in the neighborhood, would you say? Well, the thing is, uh, with heroin, is you can still function as a heroin addict. Uh, you see this in the music industry, etc. Cocaine is a little bit of a different story because it has a, a much shorter lifespan. There's like a 40-minute high. Heroin's got about a four-hour high period. And meth and fentanyl basically strip everybody of their um, sense of self-worth, how they look after themselves. Uh, it completely takes over your life. When this came in, you'd see people that had given up their families, their children, uh, their lifestyle, anything. 
And uh, that's what you see downtown right now is complete yeah. failure, complete loss of self-respect, a total addiction that's overwhelming. Speaking of Curtis Robinson, former sergeant in the Vancouver Police Department, he was 24 years with the VPD. Let me play another clip here for you, for Curtis, from David Eby, who will be sworn in as the new premier on Friday. Here he is speaking to Global News about the homeless encampment on Hastings Street, uh, which continues to be there months after a fire order to remove the tents. Here's what Eby had to say about that encampment. I don't support encampments. I don't think they're a solution to uh, homelessness. Uh, I don't think they're safe uh, for the people who live in them. I've seen too many fires, too many injuries, and people have died. Yeah, I don't think it, I think it's pretty difficult to disagree with his assessment of the situation down there. He says he doesn't support encampments. I'm not sure anyone really does. But I guess the question is, what do you do with the people who are down there? Like, what do you think of that homeless encampment down there on Hastings Street, Curtis? I think it's very dangerous. It's very unsafe for the people that are there. It's basically uh, a target zone for drug traffickers and organized crime. That's why you see people down there that run the show, people with weapons, guns, knives, that basically have that area run like a small town. Uh, it's unsafe for the people that are there. It's unsafe for the people that have to go out and steal and commit crime to get the drugs that they're peddling. It's, uh, it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah, and when we talk about, you heard him say there that he doesn't support the situation there, doesn't support encampments. Okay, well, that's fine. I don't think many people do, but what do you do to fix it? And I wish him a lot of luck here as he tries to take over the situation and show some leadership there. And I'm going to be very intrigued to see what he does. Working with other levels of government, he says he wants to work with the police. But where do you put the people? I mean... There's nowhere to put them now, so if you move them off the street of Hastings Street, where are they supposed to go? Curtis? Well, one of the things that's a, a bit of a misnomer is that there are no rooms for people. There are. The government's done, as I said, a pretty good job of finding rooms. But a lot of people that live on the street in Vancouver came here because of the close proximity to the states. We have an airport. Uh, we have a port. Access to drugs. The weather is reasonable. And, uh, you know, basically there is no enforcement allowed anymore. So um, with respect to Mr. Eby, there has to be some really hard decisions. And when you take a look at what has been shown to be a small portion of the people that are committing a large number of the crimes, you're going to have to start thinking really hard about going back and taking a look at institutionalization making some hard decisions for people. This is no life for them. They're yeah. living on the street. If you, you know, if you want your son or daughter down there, do you want them living in filth, basically uh, you know, subject to predators? Jail doesn't work. You can't police your way out of this problem. They're in and out of the system 250 times back on the street. Or would you like to have them in a safe area, a safe circumstance where they're going to get help uh, counseling, addiction services. So the portion of people that are committing the vast majority of crimes, particularly those that are mentally ill, yeah, David is going to have to start taking a hard look at making some decisions here. Yeah, so would you, okay, so would you support, like, reopening Riverview? We, we've talked a lot about that, that the decision to close down a large institution for people who are suffering from mental illness may have been done with good intentions, but people were put on the street with no service 
and now we see the the result. Like, do you think there should be a, a another large institution, kind of like that, reopened in BC? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, the, the thought that a lot of special interest groups have that the police are being mean to these people is absolute BS. That's not happening. You know, what's happening to these people is cruel. There has to be some support for them to get out of this life with help. Um, you know, you're pouring a million plus dollars a day into this. And what is the result? There is no result. It's getting worse. So hard yeah, it's, it's getting worse. Yeah, it's getting worse. I think everyone can agree on that. Let's play another clip here from, from David Eby. This is going to be fascinating here to see what he does. Like you heard him say in that first clip that he believes that the province should step in and the province should bottom line this as he described it. And he goes on to describe that the province needs to take the leadership in the neighborhood, take it over and bring in some sort of measurable system of results so that like you said don't continue to pour money into it but improve the situation we can see improvements here's what david eby had to say on this point when he talks about the provincial government taking over down there what would that mean what would be the outcome of that here's what he had to say then we'll get your thoughts people who pass through uh, the neighborhood or even tourists who come through the obvious metric will be is is can, can we see an improvement in the neighborhood? Can we see that it's getting healthier? And that'll be the big uh, indicator for us. I'm glad that he's talking about outcomes and not just talking about, you know, we've got to expand spending or we've got to drastically expand services, which will be part of it, I think. But when he talks about, can we measure the outcome? Can we see improvements on the street? I think is crucial. So I'm glad to hear him talking about outcomes. But your thoughts, Curtis? Well, I'm retired now, so I can say whatever I want. Yeah. I have something that the Vancouver Police Department can't say. But Mr. Eby has a history of lacking a tremendous amount of credibility from his work from years before. He was one of those voices that stood in the way of active and uh, effective enforcement when I was down there. So it's interesting the flip-flop he's done on this, and all of a sudden he's going to ride in and uh, attempt to fix it. I'd like to know exactly what experience he has in that way and a plan, a, a strategic plan he has in place where he's going to basically come in and do something I don't think he knows anything about. So we'll see who he deputizes to actually make this work. Yeah, and speaking of that, back when David Eby was like a, a street-level activist down there in the neighborhood with the Pivot Legal Society, did you used to see him down there in the, in the yeah. neighborhood? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yep. He, was, uh, he was very well known as a person to make... Uh, make certain decisions that made uh, enforcement, specifically with respect to drug trafficking, a difficult uh, task. How would he do that? What did he used to do down there? <clears throat> well, one of the things that David brought in was providing a multi-language laminated card to uh, the majority of drug traffickers, particularly Central Americans, that said, you don't have to talk to the police. You know, wow. you don't have to do this, you don't have to do that. Which, when you're trying to control an environment in the downtown east side, our job was to make sure that people were safe and that there was order. So finding out who the people on the street are, what they were up to, where they stayed, and uh, the type of crime that they were involved in, if any, was a big part of being a beat police officer in an affected situation like that. So David kind of like drove a wedge in between effective policing and those who are active in crime. 
All right, welcome back to the show as we continue talking about the conditions in the downtown east side. David Eby will be the next premier of British Columbia. He's set to be sworn in here this Friday. And he has said one of his top priorities is for the provincial government to take a new leadership role here in the neighborhood. He wants to clean up the, the encampment down there on Hastings Street. My guest is Curtis Robinson, former sergeant in the Vancouver Police Department, 24 years with the VPD. He worked many years down in the streets there in uh, the downtown east side. Hey, Curtis, you know, you were saying before the break there, describing when, you know, back in the day when you used to see David Eby down there as a, a, a crusading civil rights lawyer there with Pivot Legal. So when he, when he had those laminated cards you were talking about, like he'd go down there and what, personally hand these out to the drug dealers? And these cards said in multiple languages, you don't have to talk to the police? Um, I think that was probably done by the society. I never saw David hand yeah. them out, but he was okay. The the, he was the voice in the face of Pivot, yeah. and uh, was very active in making sure that uh, that uh, the people responsible for drug trafficking—and that's my memory—Central American drug traffickers, for example, who were refugees, received uh, assistance in their rights for the downtown east side, yeah. which didn't go over very well when you're trying to trying to maintain peace and order in an area like that. How did police officers feel about that back then? Uh, well, I'm probably going to think about this as currently today is I don't think very many of them voted for David Eby. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I recall covering the, you know, co- being a, a Vancouver province newspaper columnist for many years at the same time and talking to Eby at those, in those days as well. And I know the police had a, uh, he had a lot of scrapes with the police. There, were, there was tension there between police officers and David Eby back in his role. Now will he be? Now that he's the premier, or he will be here in a few days, saying he wants to make a difference down in that neighborhood. You know, are you, he says he wants to work with law enforcement. Are you buying? Are you buying that? We just have a minute left here, Curtis. Are you? Are you? Are you going to give him the benefit of the doubt here as we go forward? Let's put it this way, Mike. Yeah. David Eby supported Kennedy Stewart. You know, Kennedy Stewart's the same person that said the Vancouver Police Department was a systemically racist organization and instantaneously lost 1,300 people instantly. So that's how far I think that that's going to go. David Eby, uh, you know, is going to have a a big hill to climb if he's going to come back and try to make friends with the Vancouver Police Department executive after the guy that he supported has insulted them so badly. The police officers in Vancouver get beat up every single day for something that is, is, you know, essentially everything is their fault. They're defunded, insulted. Every day they try to do something they can't because the mayor put in something that said you're not even allowed to talk to somebody anymore in the street. So if David wants to make friends with the Vancouver Police Department, start allowing them to enforce the laws that are on the books would be a very good start. Okay. Start by supporting them. Curtis Robinson, thank you for your time today. Appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. All right, welcome back to the show. Let's talk about a change on board BC Ferries that you may or maybe you did not notice. The portrait of the Queen no longer displayed on board BC Ferries. Now, maybe that's not surprising after Queen Elizabeth has passed away but check this out now bc ferries has announced they will no longer uh, display any royal portraits 
on board their ferries. So King Charles, yeah, no display of a portrait of King Charles aboard BC ferries. Now, if this sounds familiar, if you go back a few years, back to 2008, that's when BC ferries tried to do this the first time. They said we would no longer display the portrait of the Queen back in 2008. The explanation back then was that BC Ferries had been privatized. They turned it from a crown corporation into a private company owned by the government, if you can figure that pretzel logic out, but it was no longer a crown corporation, so no longer a need to display a portrait of the crown in the person of the queen. Now, there was a backlash about that, and BC Ferries backed down. They say they will continue to display the portrait of Queen Elizabeth. That is not the case any longer. The portraits of the Queen have been taken down. There will be no portrait of King Charles displayed on BC ferries. we got Bruce Hollister standing by to discuss this now. Have a listen to Vancouver Sun columnist Vaughn Palmer here uh, discussing this yesterday with Simi Sarah. They quietly announced that um, they were taking down the pictures of the late queen, of course, Queen Elizabeth's gone, and they were not putting up pictures of the new king. Uh, BC Ferries has decided that uh, as a gesture of reconciliation with indigenous people and the uh, colonial aspect of the monarchy, there will be no more pictures of the royal on huh. the ferries. So Interesting. They'll, 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 and they, the press release said, we, we recognize that some people may not like this decision, but we think it's the right thing to do. Okay, a lot of Indigenous communities are remote and dependent on ferry service. The BC Ferries saying that displaying the portrait of King Charles would be a painful reminder of the past. The portraits are coming down. Let's discuss it now with my guest, Bruce Halser from the Monarchist League of Canada. Bruce, thanks a lot for coming on today. Nice to be here, Mike. Hey, Bruce, what do you think of the BC Ferries taking down the portrait of not only the Queen, but, of course, the new king? Think that's a, a good idea, or are you, are you upset about it? Well, what do you, you think? I'd be really surprised to know that I don't, don't think it's you a don't good like idea. <laughs> but more than the idea, I mean, you know, it's a small thing. More than yeah. the idea is is the mendacity that the ferry corporation is is using here. That's not the real reason. We don't really. I don't want to speculate what the real reason is, but the reality is, no Aboriginal leaders have uh, have demanded this. The the ninety four calls to action in the um, you know from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission actually say they reject the idea of removing photographs and statues and that sort of thing. They actually yeah. speak positively of the release, the importance of Indigenous agreements with the, the Crown and the importance of the Crown to Aboriginal communities and Aboriginal rights. And the, the calls to action of the Truth and Re- Reconciliation Commission, Commission actually call for more involvement with the, with, the royal, with the monarchy in that they want a renewed royal proclamation to be made. So, you know, this is not... There are no Aboriginal people who were not taking the ferry or upset by the picture of the Queen. Um, and there are no Aboriginal groups calling for the abolition of the monarchies. Um, so, you know, either BC Ferries is part of Canada, which is a constitutional monarchy, or it's not. And I don't know that the reason they've given for abandoning this tradition 
has any credibility whatsoever. You know, if people want to argue, we shouldn't be a monarchy. And and we've yeah. had uh, I've been on your show many times to argue with people about that point. That's fine. That right. but if we, we are one, and so if for a government-owned corporation to just uh, quietly decide that well, we're going to ignore the fact and we're going to abandon this uh, tradition of hanging the portrait of the monarch in public places. Uh, for a, a, a mendacious reason, is not on. Okay, well, it's interesting to look back in history because this is not the first time that BC Ferries has decided they wanted to do this. As I mentioned in the intro, we go back to 2008. There was an effort there to to quietly remove the portraits of the Queen from BC Ferries uh, vessels. And there was a public backlash to it, and BC Ferries kind of backed down on it. Now, I'm not sure there's going to be... as that kind of backlash this time. Maybe you think otherwise, Bruce, but let me play a clip here for you from our friend Vaughn Palmer on that precise point. Speaking yesterday with Simi, then I'll get your thoughts. Have a listen. My guess is uh, Victorians get kind of worked up about this, but it's an NDP town, and if the NDP government says this is the way we're going to go, I think they might get away with it. It isn't shaping up as the kind of outrage we had over the museum yeah, the museum, the plan to spend a billion bucks on a new museum didn't go over well at all. The government backed down on it. I'm not sure they're going to back down on this one. Bruce, your thoughts? Well, I don't think you can really compare those two. Um, you know, this is obviously not costing a billion dollars, so there's yeah. there's no fiscal aspect to it whatsoever. And, and you know, in fairness, um, part of the backlash of the previous time was that there was such a great affection for Her Late Majesty Queen Elizabeth, yeah. that people felt it was an affront, personal affront to her. However, um, that's, you know, the fact that our new king hasn't uh, reached those levels of popularity that his mother had isn't really a reason to remove the portrait. And it's, you know, somebody at BC Ferries or some group at BC Ferries has, has obviously had a long-standing issue with these portraits, and they don't really want to tell us what the reason is about, so they've invented a reason. Uh, if they wanted well, to say, well, it's because uh, Charles isn't as popular as the Queen, well, I guess we could talk about that. But the reality is, we, Canada is a constitutional monarchy. Having our head of state in public places is something that countries do around the world. And if people want to argue about who the head of state should be, that's fine. But until that uh, time, if they're going to change this long-standing tradition, they should tell us what the real reason is. Okay, well, I wonder if the change of monarch might be part of the timing here, because I, I think it's safe to say that Queen Elizabeth had a better rating among the, the public than, than Charles. There's a lot of affection for the Queen, maybe not so much for King Charles. Do you think that maybe played a factor, that they thought, okay, now that the Queen has passed away, we can take the portrait down that's clearly the reason for the timing, um, but it's not the real reason. The The real reason is somebody at BC Ferries wants us to be a republic, I guess, or doesn't isn't comfortable with the fact that Canada is the country that it is. Uh, but that's really not BC Ferries' place to, uh, to play that role. They should follow our normal traditions until they're changed. Do you think and, that... Do you think that this is not, you know, it's interesting to look across the sort of spectrum of uh, Canadian society and different institutions about the Queen's image. Like the B.C. Schools Act many years ago required that the monarch's portrait be displayed 
in every public school in British Columbia. That was dropped many years ago, right? There used to be yep. a, a portrait of the Queen was on every every banknote that was issued by the Mint. Well, now she's only on the, the $20 bill. Do you think that, what do you read into that? Some of those, I mean, the banknote changes a long time ago, before my time, and uh, yeah. <laughs> but... You know, I think there are people in this country um, who think that we shouldn't be a constitutional monarchy. And, you know, that's, as I say, that's fine. That's a debate in a democratic society we can have. But I think that most of those people have long ago concluded that the majority of Canadians are quite happy with the country that we are. We, We like our constitutional form of government. There's a lot of positive association with uh, with our connection with the Commonwealth realms and the royal family. And I think most Republicans in Canada have long ago concluded that they would lose a referendum on this issue. So over decades, there's been a subtle um, attempt to sort of de... Um, to marginalize the monarchy and just erase it without legally getting rid of it. And I think this is part of that long long-term trend. And I think it's disingenuous, and I think uh, it's a shame. Okay, do you think that with the ascension of of King Charles now as Canada's head of state and and the monarch, do you think that support for the monarchy will erode in the days and weeks and years to come here, given the popularity and affection people had for the Queen, Charles, not so warm and fuzzy about him, does support for the monarchy as an institution decline at the same time? Well, there's no question that the support for the Queen, especially in her latter years, was was enormous. Um, the support for um, for the Queen, of course, waxed and waned over her reign. There was a time when when she was quite unpopular, and the monarchy was less popular then. So there's no question that the the, the day-to-day popularity of the institution bears some relationship to the popularity of the person at its head, but. Uh, even at those times when the Queen's personal popularity was low, when a couple of places in the Commonwealth tried referendums to ask the people if they wanted to become a republic, the answer was clearly no. And I think, no. you know, the whole point of the monarchy is, unlike elected politicians, we don't look at opinion polls every day. We don't choose our head of state on the basis of political popularity or the comings and goings of, of public opinion. We have somebody who's there in a nonpartisan role who doesn't represent any faction in our society who who stands above partisanship and can play that very right. neutral constitutional function which has made Canada and other constitutional monarchies the most successful countries in the world the best places to live so i think when push comes to shove canadians appreciate that we are one of the best countries in the world and our system of government is a part of that and and they don't really aren't going to really see any reason to change Bruce, thanks for coming on today with your thoughts on it. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you.